Roger. Welcome back for season two of Two Vets Upstate. Uh, it is so, so good to be back. We've been away for about a month. Thanks so much to those of you that came out to see us at the New York State Health Foundation earlier this month. We had a great crowd. <laughs> yeah, we had such a great crowd. Uh, I think, well, like 40 people showed up, Andrea? Yeah, they ate all the food. <laughs> yeah. Did we? I don't think we got any food, but that's fine. The food wasn't for us. <laughs> but uh, it was great. Uh, we had an awesome conversation. Thanks again to Derek Coy uh, and the Health Foundation for hosting us. Uh, they do awesome work. And thanks to those who came out, asked questions, engaged with us afterwards. Uh, we have a lot of ideas for content and ways that we can partner for outreach this year. But I guess the biggest question I have for you, Andrea, right now is, what are you eating or drinking today? So I am just back from Belgium. Um, and so I'm on a chocolate kick. Um, although the chocolate I'm drinking right now is Mexican hot chocolate, Mestizo hot chocolate, because it is a balmy 12 degrees in Kinderhook, New York. Freaking um, cold. It is really cold. And I got kicked out of, I'm, I'm over at my parents' house for dinner, which is a couple miles from my house. And I got kicked out of the, the room with the fireplace for the podcast. So I'm very sad. That's cold. And you have hot chocolate to make everything better. So Roger, what about you? Um, really nothing connected to New York specifically. I am having some New England clam chowder because it's freaking cold outside, everybody. And I just want to remind you to stay strong through this cold weather. This is what makes us New Yorkers. And, uh, you know, it'll be warm again someday, I think, right? Yeah, we're just stubborn. There were people ice fishing. Okay, so ice fishing is where I draw the line for winter activities. Like I really? – yeah. So I, it was only about, but it was also only about 33 degrees. So I was, it snowed yesterday at my house. There's, I live on a lake, so there's ice and there's snow and I went snowshoeing and I danced in, in, in the snowstorm and put a thing on Instagram set to the tune of Billy Idol's dancing with myself. And, um, then I got home and like the sun started to come out and I saw people out ice fishing on the lake, but right where my house is up on the dock, the lake isn't fully frozen. So I'm watching people walk out and, you know, drag their kids out on sleds out to the middle of the lake when it's not fully frozen where I am. And so that's why I say, I was like, that is the line that is living a little bit too dangerously for me. We got thick skin up here. Yeah, it'll be fine. Ain't no thing. Ice fishing is where it's at. It's actually, isn't that like the perfect temperature for it though? You know, where you're right on the line and you, it's not like negative a hundred, which it I got, it is right now. It feels like it right now. I just would be terrified of falling through the ice. <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, you do measure for that. I think they have tools for that, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm, people are probably experts at this. It's just not a thing that I've done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next two vets upstate. Yeah. Recording from the middle of uh, Lake Kinderhook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what's new with you, Andrea? What's, uh, what's going on? Probably nothing. You live a nice, relaxing life without too much to do. Is that right? 
Oh yeah. Spot on. Um, I'm not even, so probably a lot more, I'll be able to share a lot more cause there are like all a zillion things going on and I'll probably be able to share a lot more on our next episode. But, um, I am, um, on a pod, I just, just went on a several week road show, DC, Arizona, New York city, uh, Belgium, which, by the way, I really appreciate winter here because at least the sun comes up at 7 as opposed to, like, 8.30. Um, Ouch. Yeah, it was. I mean, I ate really well, but I, w- I just wanted to just, like, crawl into a bar and not come out for three months. Um, yeah, and now – so I'm back home for a couple of days, and then I'm on another road show again, D.C., uh, Rhode Island, Virginia – um, yeah. And just, just, you know, going, go taking, taking the show on the road. Um, the, the Draymobile with the aggressive New York state veteran plates will be spotted. <laughs> so guys, I, I can't, I know we've talked about my license plates many times on this podcast, but like they are aggressive. <laughs> It's very, it feels somehow feels very on brand. So Roger, you've got lots of exciting things going on. Tell us about all the things. Well, I, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll start by saying it's not the life of a rock star um, like you. So, um, but um, we got a house and we're in the process of closing on a house on the east side of Syracuse. Uh, we're pretty stoked. Um, it's got a nice yard, which was one of our big, uh, ticket items. We want a yard so that, um, the kids can go out and play in it. We could have a dog and all that sort of stuff that you generally want to have when your family starts to grow. So we're excited about that. And it takes up as you can imagine anybody who's ever bought a house, uh, it takes up a lot of your time. It seems like it never ends. Also started a new gig here post Navy with the defense innovation lab. I'm the New York state director of that now. It's essentially a place where small businesses can go to close the gap between where a standard accelerator program might end and low rate initial production for government contracts might begin. So we're talking about prototyping uh, low rate initial production through access to manufacturing spaces around the state. A lot of people like to say that upstate New York is... Uh, post-industrial economy. That doesn't mean that we move past manufacturing and we move past industry. Um, We just have to find a better way to plug in small businesses that want to be in the state to the manufacturing infrastructure that already exists. Um, In some places, it's uh, empty or it's not being used, but um, I'm pretty excited to help businesses move into those spaces. And that's what I hope to be doing here for at least the next definable horizon of time. So that will be fun. And I look forward to partnering with uh, a lot of you. Also, we just need to, can we talk Andrea about human evolution for a second? Let's do this. Let's, let's get all Darwin on, on uh, Darwinian on the pod. Yeah. How is it that human beings have, so my daughter, God, God bless her, her soul. She is hopefully asleep right now as we record this. She's getting molars and her poor, that poor girl, man, it is just the most uncomfortable thing that I've heard her have to go through. And 
how is it that human beings evolve this way? I, uh, you know, the whole thing from childbirth through like teeth ripping through your gums, like we make our kids put up with a lot of stuff in order to be adults and grow up to have podcasts and stuff like that. So anyway, my poor daughter, keep her in your thoughts as she attempts to have a full head of teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Andrea, what are we talking about today? What's going on around the country, around the state? Um, So I really am so excited to talk about the New York state legislative agenda, but we definitely need to address the fact that the government shutdown is finally over. Holy smokes. It was like we stopped recording our podcast and the government was like, oh, well, we'll see you at the next episode, I guess. I mean, that that is pretty much the duration of the government shutdown was between our, our season finale and this. 35 days. WTF. Yeah, so a third of the federal workforce are veterans and government shutdowns are a terrible idea. So stupid. If you, uh, I'm not getting on my soapbox yet, Andrea, but I just got to say that any public official who voted for a shutdown just ought to be ashamed and then ought to be voted out of office. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've got, uh, are there any special elections coming up this year? We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. But, uh, yeah. Um, but can we talk about the New York State Legislative Agenda? Because I'm really excited about it. Yes, let's. Okay. So New York State, blue state, has been a blue state for quite some time. However. Different shades um, of blue. Different shades of blue, different shades of purple, red. Um, it's a very it's a very diverse state. It's a very politically diverse state. And for Um, We haven't had a Republican governor since Pataki. So we've had Democratic governors for what? When was Pataki? So so 15 years. Um, But the uh, state house had a Republican majority for a very, very long time. And I should have gone and looked up exactly how long it was before this episode. But let's just say a long time. So this is the first time, certainly, that I can remember in recent memory that we've had a majority both in the state house and in the executive um, of the state. So a state that people think is progressive was deceptively not progressive because we had this um, deadlock. So now that there's a majority in the the state senate, uh, the state assembly, and there's a Democratic governor. Uh, there's an opportunity for sweeping comprehensive reforms. So one of the very first one was comprehensive voter voting rights reform, uh, same-day registration, no excuse, absentee ballots, early voting, vote by mail, pretty much everything that you can think of. Oh, oh, and um, Early registration for minors. So if you are a, say, like 16 or 17, uh, you can register to vote and it'll be automatic once you become of age. So making it easier to vote. Um, online voter registration, pretty much everything that you can think of up to rank choice voting. We don't have that yet. Um, so that's amazing. Um, New York state also just became a, an abortion firewall state. So what that means is 
Um, we, we do have a conservative Supreme Court and we will have a more conservative Supreme Court for decades to come, um, which means that uh, women's reproductive rights are under threat. And there is a possibility that Roe versus Wade could get overturned and that um, reproductive rights go back to being a state issue. Um, so uh, New York State has become a firewall state in this, in the sense that women in New York will always have uh, control over their own uh, reproductive decisions. Um, to include should they have the devastating possibility of having a non-viable pregnancy very late on. Um, that was an issue with there was a, 20, uh, a late, uh, late-term ban, which is really for these really devastating cases. So that, uh, that was also, uh, over, that was also um, codified. Um, not sure what we're going to see coming next, but uh, I think a, a lot of people uh, – it, it, I anticipate that we will have uh, recreational marijuana in the state later in the year. Um, I think that's probably going to take a while because that's also probably going to be tied to criminal justice reform. Um, so we'll see. Um, what else, Roger? What am I missing? Yeah, the most recent reform, um, I think today, maybe as we uh, record this, is the Child Victims Act which is finally getting it right on the statute of limitations for child sexual abuse, which makes it easier for justice to be done and for those who were assaulted as minors, um, even if it was long ago, to seek justice. I think this is the right thing. I think that the statute of limitations is for too long, especially in these cases of child sexual abuse, been an unreasonable, arbitrary standard that allows perpetrators to walk free, knowing that they can commit these acts and then um, not be brought to justice um, because of them. So it's a good day for justice, I think, in the state of New York. And I hope that um, this helps people get the courage that they need to come forward and to make sure that people are held accountable. So uh, what else are we watching this year, Roger? Wow. Um, you know, it's, it's tough to think about all of the things that I think we, we tried to do this before we recorded here. Like what, what are we thinking about this year? You know, and it's, I mean, thinking back on what happened in 2018, it, it was tough to see at the beginning of the year, what unfolded and what we should have kept our antenna up for. But certainly one of the big things that I think we can forecast is, there's going to be more massive IT change at the Department of Veterans Affairs. It's going to impact veterans, uh, just like the housing payment uh, fiasco did, um, anything related to the GI Bill, uh, Veterans Health Administration stuff. Um, I get the sense that there is just not enough resources being asked for from the Department of VA in order to get these IT systems up to where they need to be. I don't know why that is. Maybe fear of asking for too much money, fear of looking bad before Congress. But I think my sense is that Congress is willing to pay what it costs to do right by our veterans um, as far as computer systems that underpin our benefits go. So I hope that folks at the Department of the VA will really, really take a look at exactly how much, how many resources, people, money, time it takes to get this right 
and and be honest about it up front. What else we got yeah. going on? And we really can't emphasize this IT stuff enough. It's a really big accessibility issue. I think we talked about this pretty extensively at our live show at the New York State Health Foundation. Um, wanted, wanted to just share a personal anecdote. So I'm now the chair of um, the Veterans Advisory Committee for my congressional district. And before we held our first meeting with Congressman Delgado before he took office back in December, um, I had a list of everyone who'd been on the committee before. I had their emails, um, and there are eleven, and, and it includes uh, the the committee is comprised of um, the the direct the the county director of veteran services for all eleven counties, as well as some individual um, and in- other institutional and independent advocates. So I. C- kept getting some kickbacks uh, from the emails that I had. So I went on the website for all 11 counties and either got non-responses or kickbacks from several of them. Um, and then some of we, you know, we have this meeting and it's in, it's in, uh, it's in Dutchess County. And, um, and, and I'm really not trying, and in this, I'm not calling out Dutchess County. It's really not, their fault that, um, but they're like, where's the Dutchess County, uh, representative. And I was like, well, I had this email address and apparently it was out of date. They're like, well, don't you have the latest, uh, guide for, for the state? So there is a guide there. There's a, there's a directory that the state releases every month with the con- updated contact information for all of the all the counties. The problem is they're sending it to the counties. So that's great <laughs> if you want to know who the person in the next county is, but it's not on the New York State website, and that's where it should be. And that's why I say, like, I'm not calling out Dutchess County on, on this. Dutchess County was in, in compliance. Their information is up to date in that directory. The state's not putting it anywhere that's public. And it's public information, but if it's not publicly accessible, then then what the hell? Yeah. So ultimately someone sent me the most up-to-date one and I have all the contact information and now I'm sending it out and we're all fine. But you know, having spoken to these, you know, spoken to the the directors for the counties, like it's really it takes time and resources that they may not have just for their emails to be up to date on their website. So, and, and, you know, I'm not gonna, I mean, some of this is just like age. I hate picking up the phone, but one of the reasons I don't call is because if I email someone, I know they're going to get it at some point and respond to me. I don't have to worry about having to call back later. So this is just, this is all just about accessibility. So. Yeah. and And it gets into our, one of our broader themes for this year, which is improving websites and agency interoperability throughout the state, right? It's, this is about accountability for veterans. So, um, improving, you know, really looking at this from the, we call it UX, right? User design, but really it's VX, it's veteran design. It's looking at it from the vantage point. (laughs) Did you? Yeah. I'm going to trademark that real fast. (laughs) Uh, it's looking at it from the vantage point of, a single veteran, how a single veteran accesses 
the information that they should be able to access um, and different uh, user profiles. So young, post 9-11 veterans, service disabled veterans, Vietnam veterans, um, minority veterans, you know, wherever, you know, veterans in Buffalo versus veterans uh, in the North Country, right? Um, and taking a good hard look at how hard or easy it is to access names of people, phone numbers, you know, can I file claims online? Um, do systems talk to one another? What requires me to drive somewhere and how do we um, reduce the administrative burden on people just to be able to access their resources? So we talk about accountability. That's what we're talking about is helping each veteran access their benefits and help, helping them sort of overcome themselves because I'm like a lot of people, Andrea. I, if something is too hard and it's not really going to drastically, I don't think, change my life, I'm just going to give up. You know, if, if it's so difficult to access something, even though the benefit could be, could be substantial, I just don't know. I'm just, you know, I'm just going to keep on doing what I'm doing. And we as, a, as advocates for veterans can, can do better there. So I think that's one of our big themes this year as well. Yes, absolutely. The, there's a study on um, women veteran on women veterans healthcare that the VA did, and they found it was basically a customer service survey. This was, I think, about two years ago, and they even identified one of the reasons that women weren't using the VA as trying hard and quitting, where um, people were just. I mean, and, and again, like with a lot of the bureaucratic issues with the VA, they're starting to find are more symptoms of, of just how healthcare administration happens in this country. It's not the VA specifically. It actually can be as bad or worse in private care. But, you know, looking at it, it was, you know, I'm, I'm stuck on the phone for four hours or I'm trying to unfuck some administrative thing like eight times and being told I'm crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so Roger, we, we closed out last season talking about the Blue Water Navy Bill, um, which for um, just a refresher has, has was a- actually initiated several, several Congresses ago, I think in the 114th uh, with Chris Gibson introducing the original version. Um, and it would, it would recognize the exposure of blue water Vietnam Navy veterans, uh, toxic exposure to Agent Orange. So, Roger, can you talk a little bit about uh, where that that stands? Yeah, I, I guess it's no real secret that I'm I'm finishing up a stint um, as a defense assistant on the Hill for a congressman, and I made it personal mission to try to understand what goes on with these Agent Orange bills because uh, Congressman Gibson's isn't the only one. Um, There's one that the representatives from Central New York, so Dan Maffei did it first, and then John Katko essentially has just copy and pasted the bill every Congress for the last four Congresses um, to try to, it's called essentially the Agent Orange Fairness Act. And all these bills, whether it's Blue Water Navy, Agent Orange Fairness, there's there's a bunch of them that are geared towards helping get 
disability ratings, treatments, payments for treatments into the hands of folks who are exhibiting the signs of being exposed to Agent Orange. And for whatever reason, there's just this impasse in getting these, this legislation passed. It's starting to get ridiculous. And Why is this it's, so hard? It's, it's not a new problem, right? I mean, it's, there are these roadblocks. I, I don't even understand them. The, these things are uh, members of Congress. They're bipartisan bills. They're co-sponsored by a bunch of people. Get introduced to the House VA committee, and for whatever reason, they're um, pushed to the side. And I think we got as close as we've ever gotten in the 115th Congress, this last one, when Mike Enzi and Mike Lee uh, Republicans from the Midwest um, blocked the bill because allegedly it was too costly. And we talked about our thoughts on that last season, but I'm, you know, fucking money. Sorry. This is just... <laughs> right. Well, and the, the fallback position for some Republicans in Congress, including John Katko has been, Oh, well, let's do a study. You know what? We've been doing stuff. When did the Vietnam war end? You know, and when did these conditions, especially in blue water Navy veterans, start to manifest themselves? It wasn't just a couple of years ago, John. This has been going on for a long time, and we, we're tired of studies. If you're a member of Congress and your legislation amounts to do another Agent Orange study, it's time for you to go. Okay, I'm looking for action on this issue in the 116th Congress, and I want to know where we can find it. So. Yeah. We'll continue to ask questions of the House VA committee, but until then, this kind of seems a little ridiculous, and I'm glad it's it's getting the light of day that it's gotten in the national press. And for all the decades that they continue to do studies that all come with the same conclusion, they could have paid for this already. Right. right. <laughs> all right. So anyway, it's 2019, off your local elections in the state of New York, uh, county executive, town boards, and supervisors. We gave, Super important. Yeah, um, mega important. Um, Holy also, smokes. This is where we build the bench, people. <laughs> yes. Um, speaking of which, uh, there are two former um, two former candidates for Congress who um, were worked very hard in the primary in New York 19 um, are running for local positions. So we gave a shout out to our – uh, fellow Trumanite and veteran Pat Ryan, he's running for Ulster County Executive. Dave Clegg, who also ran in that same primary for um, the Democratic nomination for Congress, is now running for district attorney. Um, yeah, I would, you know, but I would also say it's these these roles are really challenge. It's I, I would also say that this is there's also this inherent challenge. This is this is absolutely where we build the bench. Um, it's also really challenging because a lot of these positions are part-time positions. Uh, right. County executive is full-time. Um, I'll be very honest. My town asked me if I wanted to run for town board and I, I don't have the bandwidth because it's a part-time position and I travel a lot for work and I, and I can't devote part-time to public service. Um, And um, when I think about that and I look at the age of a lot of the people on the town board or town supervisor, that's, that's why it's, you know, who has, who has time to devote to 
um, these roles. It's retirees. It's people whose kids who I who either don't have kids, their kids are out of the house, um, or or at least aren't super young, um, or who, um, you know, they they have local. Their careers are local and. I don't have an answer for it because I think part of the challenge is that you want more people to live here and be active in the community who also have these dynamic careers and have a lot of things going on and are just generally energetic people. Um, So I don't, like I said, I don't have any answers for it. I just think it's an inherent challenge and certainly something for our, or local organizers and local leaders to think about as we, um, you know, as you recruit candidates, as we find other ways for people to be involved in in the functioning of local government. Yeah, and I mean, let's talk also about one of the most unspoken truths of American politics, which is it's easier if you're wealthy. It's easier if you're wealthy because. Public service, uh, rightfully so, in America, doesn't doesn't really pay well, right? So, if you have a family, um, first of all, you can't really afford not to work necessarily while you run. Um, and then, once you're in office, um, depending on the office, if it's county executive, maybe it's okay. But if it's county attorney, you're right. You need to you need to be working part time, and that takes away from the focus that should be on that job. So. Um, that's a big problem in America that we need to fix, which is it's the, the scale is tilted towards the wealthy when it comes to who is, who can afford to run for public office. And I think it's, it's heartening when we see it chipped away at bit by bit. And I think I look to uh, Luba Gretchen Shirley, who ran against Peter King downstate uh, in 2018 and ran a hell of a race, but she lobbied, um, I think the FEC, right, and got um, childcare expenses to be included as legitimate campaign expenses, and that goes a long way towards helping uh, parents, mothers especially, run for office. That helps a little bit with a piece of that, but it's still just a, a slight decrease of the slope between you know where rich people are and where the rest of us are. And it's a big problem. Yeah. yeah. I'm really, I'm just real. I'm really wrestling with this. I've just been thinking a lot about it and how much I really want to be involved in my community. And just so like, I, I don't have, it's, it's, it, you know, when you think about time and other resources, it's like, I, I can't. <laughs> and there are a lot of people who are opting out and for, for that reason. And so, um, yeah, it's a challenge. All right. So, Andrea, what do we have for shout outs today? Our first episode of season two. So this is just in hot off the uh, email presses. So on the evening of February 28th, which I believe is a Thursday, the New York State Division of Veterans Affairs, Sage Vets and the Richard C. Faya LGBTQ Commission of the New York State Courts will host a community forum for veterans and their family members who identify as LGBTQIA. Um, there'll be free assistance with claims and appeals for federal and state veterans benefits, discharge upgrade appeals, employment resources, VA healthcare enrollment, 
landlord-tenant disputes, consumer protection matters, and much more will be available from more than a dozen agencies and organizations. The venue will be at the LGBT Community Center, which is located at 208 West 13th Street in Manhattan. So yes, this is downstate. Uh, The forum will begin at 6.30 p.m. and will last until every veteran and family member present has been assisted. Uh, We'll have the flyer in our show notes. Yeah. And then we want to give a big round of applause to uh, Paul Rykoff. He is the Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, or IAVA, founder and CEO. Founded it 14 years ago. And we were talking about this before the show, Andrea. I can't believe it's been 14 years. He's just been such a fixture in the veterans community. IAVA has been a tremendous organization, and he is moving on from IAVA. So we look forward to seeing what is next for him. Um, The new CEO, I think, of IAVA is going to be Jeremy Butler, uh, Navy guy, uh, surface warfare officer in the Navy Reserve, and previously involved with the organization as well. So um, they look to be in good hands. But uh, to Paul, PJ Rykoff, uh, thank you for what you've done on behalf of veterans for the last 14 years. Yeah, thanks, PJ. And then also, Pat Ryan is running for Ulster County Executive. So have to shout that, that out twice. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> but it's two times it's, good. It's so I'm really excited seeing all of our friends who talked about doing the thing, actually doing the thing. It's really exciting. Like we've got Pat running for Ulster County executive. Our friend, Adrian Perkins is the, literally the mayor of Shreveport. Pretty much the entire house armed services committee is combined is comprised of women veterans. I mean, that's not true, but like most of the freshman class. Oh yeah. Can we shout out that for a minute? The incoming class of the house armed services committee is awesome. I mean, there are some, there are some curmudgeons on there, but talk about a group I want to hang out with, right? Like that, uh, both sides of the aisle, I think did it right. And I, exciting times ahead for Hask. I'm looking forward to uh, what they'll do on behalf of our country. Yeah. Go Hask. Uh, Andrea, we're coming to the end of episode one, season two. Um, This officially means we've spanned two years uh, together on the podcast. I am looking forward to what this year brings. Do you want to talk a little bit about the next time we'll see each other and possibly podcast? So everyone, Roger's last day on active duty in the Navy is like this week. And so we will be celebrating his service to our country and to our state at um, Valor Brew Pub in Washington, D.C., this Friday, the 1st of February at 6.30 p.m. And of course, we'll be podcasting from the bar. Duh. Um, It's going to be great to see everybody. And, um, you know, I'm feeling all of the emotions that go with ending a career that spanned a decade, Um, you know, leaving home, in Red Creek, Little Red Creek, New York, and um, getting to deploy around the world with some of America's finest is uh, 
Well, we'll talk more about it on Friday, but suffice to say, I'm feeling all the feels, Andrea, and I look forward to sharing the feels with everybody on Friday evening, but I'm glad that you'll be able to join us. Absolutely. Well, stay warm. God, it's so cold. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, it's so cold. It's so cold. Um, We're looking forward to a great season, Andrea. Uh, Any last words? That's all I've got. All right, everybody. Till next time. Thanks for listening to our season premiere of season two of Two Vets Upstate. Bridges chained up inside fridges, floating off on barges to the land of the dead, floating on.